The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Hey, if you've uh, if you've read any church history, you've probably come across the name of John Calvin, who lived about 500 years ago. He was a pastor and a theologian in Geneva, in Switzerland, and um, in his day. There was a group of people who called themselves the Libertines, okay? Um, and so these Libertines, uh, as the name implies, the Libertines are the people who sort of embodied this, hey, let's, let's uh, sin all the more so that grace may abound. And so you can like, let your imagination you know, run and, and you fill in the blanks with what that meant for them. But they were using the grace of Jesus to uh, give them license to do all, live all kinds of sinful lifestyles because they believed that they, they would be forgiven for it. And the Libertines would come to worship uh, at John Calvin's church at St. Peter's, and he would refuse to give them communion. Okay? So you imagine what it's like to be a Libertine and have, the, have your pastor say, sorry, you can't have any communion this morning. They were so upset, they sued. And the city council of Geneva said, okay, uh, we're with you, and we think that John Calvin should give you communion. And so on the next Sunday, uh, the, the Libertines jumped to the front of the line in order to take communion, and here's what happened. John Calvin got down, and he put his arms around the, the elements on the table like this. Like he, he created a fence with his arms. And here's what he said. He said, these hands you may crush, these arms you may lop off, my life you may take, my blood is yours, you may shed it, but you shall never force me to give holy things to the profaned and dishonor the table of my God. So he made a fence. Now, you remember what a fence does, right? A fence is something that keeps certain things in that you want to keep in, and a fence keeps certain things out that you want to, that you want to keep out. I hope this isn't going to be too much of a distraction. <laughs> so that's what a mask does. Or, sorry, that's what a fence does. Although a mask does the same thing. A fence keeps certain things in. A fence keeps certain things out. And in Calvin's context, it seems that his fence was probably, like the, the fence in his context, was probably a little bit too low. So fast forward 500 years later, and you've got this guy. His name, I don't know if you've heard this in the news. His name is Saheb and he came to faith in Jesus in Iran after having lived most of his life as a Muslim. And he was whipped for it. He was whipped because on a Sunday morning, he took communion with his church and he drank communion wine. And because of it, he received 80 lashes across the back. And he is going to spend six months in jail because of it. He's going to spend six months in jail because he took communion in a Muslim context. And if the fence in John Calvin's context was too low, I think it's safe to say that the, this, the fence in, in, in uh, Saheb's uh, uh, context is too high. Okay? Now today, here's where we are. We are finishing our study of the liturgy. And, uh, and, and each week what we've been doing is asking, like, what is it that's supposed to happen when the church goes to church? Like, what are we supposed to expect? Why do we do this? 
What do we gain by, do, by being together uh, in the same place at the same time that we can't get if we just have our private devotions at home with, this, with just me and Jesus and my Bible? When we began the study, we talked about the, the twin dangers of both legalism and consumerism. Last week when we were together, we were talking about preaching and teaching and the role of the Word in Word and Table. And this morning we're talking about communion. And now just quick survey, how many people have heard a sermon in the last two years on communion? Okay, interesting, good. So, but the overwhelming majority have not. Uh, and that's, and, and in fact, I've never actually taught on communion. This was actually really helpful for me. But to mor this morning, what we're doing is we're just drilling deep into what happens in communion. Why do we do this? So what is the role of the table in Word and Table? And my, my aim, just so you know, is to say uh, a few helpful things. I've got four questions I want to address. One is really, really difficult and kind of complicated. Uh, two are medium difficulty. And the fourth is pretty simple, but, but too important to ignore, okay? So one hard question, two medium questions, and then one simple question, but an important one. So we're just going to dive right in, and I'm going to begin with the hard one. Because that's just how we roll at benediction, okay? Beginning with the hard question. So, what happens in communion? Just so you know, it's interesting, most of what we believe about communion actually comes from the Apostle Paul in the, in the New Testament. Uh, in a couple of passages. One is 1 Corinthians 11, which we just heard read. The other is 1 Corinthians 10, which we'll talk about here in just a second. In chapter 10, the Apostle Paul is correcting the Corinthian church because he sees some things, he sees them doing some things that are actually really troubling to him. These Corinthian believers would go to worship at a temple of Aphrodite in the town of Corinth and worship the goddess of love. And when that was done, they would come down the street and they would worship at a Christian church and they would take the Lord's Supper. And Paul's message to them is like, you guys, pick one. All right, you got to choose. You can't do both. And we, the, reason, the reason why they need to pick one is really important. We need, what we actually need to hear this morning is Paul's argument for why they need to pick one and why it's not okay for them to take this, the, the, the cup of, of Aphrodite, and what, he, what Paul calls the cup of demons and the cup of the Lord. So we're going to follow his argument here. In chapter 10, beginning at verse 16, Paul gives us a sense of what he believes about this stuff. He says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? All right? It's a participation in the blood of Christ. And is not the bread a participation in the body of Christ? That's an important word. It's a participation in these things. What, but what, is that, what does that mean? It's actually led to a lot of confusion and a lot of conflict over the years. Okay? This is a, this is a, it's a Greek word that you may have actually heard if you've been in church world for, for any amount of time. The word koinonia, which is about fellowship. It's about togetherness. It's about connection. And, uh, and, and so somehow, what Paul is saying is that somehow, communion connects us with the body of, and blood of Christ. And in the next chapter, chapter 11, Paul's going to go even further, and he's going to say, whoever takes communion in an unworthy way is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of Jesus. Think of that. The, a person who takes the body, takes the cup, 
and the bread in an unworthy way is guilty of sinning against Jesus. It's guilty of sinning against the body and blood of Jesus. Like, whoa, yikes. And so because of that, on one end, you've got a tradition like the Roman Catholics, how I, where, where I grew up, uh, where Anglicans and Lutherans, sort of the high church traditions, and they interpret Paul there as saying that Jesus is truly present in the Lord's Supper. And each of those groups has their own nuanced view of how that happens. Um, but they agree that communion is, is that, the, that in the bread and in the wine, something is so important, something is, is happening that is so important and spiritual that we can't afford to miss it. And so we need to take it regularly and, and often. And on the other side, of the spectrum. You've got sort of uh, low church uh, evangelicals, Baptists, non-denominational groups, who in my view I would say that they probably overcorrected. Okay, it's just a reminder, it's just a visual reminder of what of the Lord's of the Lord's body and, and blood. And uh, and so because of that, because it's symbolic, it actually doesn't matter much whether we take it monthly or quarterly, if if that. And so who's right? Who's right? Well, like, maybe you might ask the question like this. Where is Christ for us when we take communion? Is he, is he like, is he in the body? Or is he in the bread? Is he in the juice? Is he above it? Is he in us? Is he like over us? Again, that's a, this is a tough question. This is a tough question. Um, so in chapter 10, in chapter 10, Paul compares participation in the body and blood of Christ with participation with demons. So if you've got your Bible there, it's going to be helpful if you follow along in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 for a minute. Okay, so Paul compares there, he compares participation with the body and blood of Jesus with participation with demons. He puts those on a level, okay? He connects those two things. And so, as a word to you and I, if Paul believes that Jesus is truly present in the bread and the cup at church, you would expect him to say, guys, don't drink, don't drink the cup of Aphrodite. Don't drink that demon juice, because if you do, there's a demon in it. It's, it's got evil magic powers. Don't drink it because it's gonna do bad things to you. That's what you would expect him to say about participation in the cup of demons if that's what Paul believes is going on. But look what he says. He says, uh, he says, do I, do I mean, verse 19, do I mean that then that food sacrifice to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No. No, in verse 20, he says, no, but the sacrifices are offered to demons, not to God, and I don't want you to be participants with demons. You can't uh, drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons, too. You can't have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. In other words, if you ask Paul, Paul, what do you believe is happening in, in, in the cup of demons? Paul would say, no, the cup is unchanged. The demon food is unchanged. There's, it's just food. There's no demon in it. There's no magic, no demon magic in it. What, what matters is the ritual. Okay? The ritual matters uh, not because the ritual changes the food into something that it, it, it wasn't before, but because the ritual preaches. 
The ritual preaches. And, and, and the same is true for communion. So think of it this way, okay? Christmas is coming. So think of, think of, uh, of Christmas. Imagine, imagine if in order to uh, help us to remember his incarnation and to remember the gift that it is that the word was made flesh, imagine if Jesus said, as often as you, as you open these gifts, open them in remembrance of me. Okay? If he did, we wouldn't say that these gifts contain Christ. We wouldn't say that he needs to be in the gifts uh, in order for this act to be meaningful and powerful for us. We would say that opening the gifts connects us to the event, it reenacts the event, it, it, uh, it, it uses these tangible signs to preach the gospel to our hearts, and in the same way, communion matters in our worship, but not because, I think Paul's saying, not because Christ is present in the bread or in the cup. That doesn't seem to be what he's saying. On the other hand, at the Last Supper, Jesus holds up a cup, and he says, take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Like, one reason we're supposed to take the cup is because Jesus from here on is a teetotaler. He's not going to get to drink wine again with us until the kingdom. So that's one thing that's going on. And Jesus says elsewhere that where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there with you. We also know that this ritual preaches the gospel, and the gospel itself is the power of God for salvation. Okay? And so it seems like uh, the Lord is present with us in communion, in the act of sharing it. As we participate in communion, as we take and share communion together, Jesus is with us, okay? And he's using this ritual to form us by looking back to the cross and looking ahead to the kingdom, okay? This ritual, it, it, it preaches. It preaches. It prepares us. For, for a reunion with Jesus by allowing us to reenact the gospel and say, I'm never going to forget this. I remember. I will never forget. Jesus has saved me. He has made us one. And, and we raise a cup to Christ. We raise this cup in honor of Jesus. We share this one cup. We share this one bread in honor of Jesus, in memory of Jesus. That's what is happening in communion. So now we need to ask, this one is not as, com as complicated, who is it for? Like, who should not participate in communion? All right? So this is about the fence that we need to put around the table. Like, I've got a friend who's a pastor of a, of a Baptist church, and, um, and at his church, they share communion, like, I think, monthly. And uh, when they do, the pastor will lead at the front, and he'll say that this is for you if... You have been baptized as an adult by immersion underwater, like not sprinkling, and if you are a member of that church. Okay? And so just, you know, you can imagine that in a city like Hamilton, like half the people in the room or more can't participate in communion because of the fence that he's got around the, around the table. I would call that an unhelpful unbiblical fence around communion, okay? On the other hand, 
On the other hand, this isn't for everybody. Isn't that true? Uh, Paul gives us actually a very serious warning uh, in the Corinthian letters, uh, chapter 11, which we heard read earlier. He's, here's, the, here's how serious the situation is for Paul. Okay? He says to, to them twice, I have no praise for you in this matter. He says, your meetings are doing more harm than good. Imagine that. Imagine if, imagine if the Lord said to us, you know what, benediction? Your meetings are doing more harm than good. That's a pretty serious statement. And then Paul, he also says to them that when you gather, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Like, I don't know what you think you guys are doing. I don't know what you call this fiasco, but it is definitely not the Lord's Supper. And then he actually tells them, some of the Corinthians have, are sick, and they have, they have died because of this. They've died because of it. And you might say, Paul, aren't you being a little harsh? Like, could, like can't you take it easy on, on the Corinthians? And Paul would say, no, I can't, because communion is a sermon that we preach in bread and cup. And, and communion is how we declare it's how we declare our unity in Jesus. But look at how divided they are. Look how divided they are. There's not one supper at this table. There's many. And, and look at how selfish they are. There are some people who are pigging out on the food. And there are some people who are going home hungry. And, and look at how sick that they've become. Like the Lord's Supper has basically become food poisoning in the bellies of some of these people. And so they're sick. And so Paul warns them, I want you to examine yourselves. Examine yourselves, verse 29, because those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. Those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. Discerning uh, the body of Christ, recognizing the body of Christ, uh, honoring the body of Christ. Those are what some of your versions might say. Now, how does that happen that a person might not discern the body uh, and blood of Jesus in the midst of in communion? Well, it's possible that they don't recognize him, that they just don't. Like, maybe, maybe you've never heard the gospel. You're not a follower of Jesus. That's fine. We love you. You are welcome in this space. And so when we take, in those times when we're able to take communion, let communion be a visual reminder. Let it preach the gospel to your hearts. And let it show you what we believe Jesus is for us. So maybe you don't recognize him, but maybe you can't recognize Jesus. Maybe it's just like developmentally, you're not able to connect this ritual that we do with Jesus. That's okay. That's okay too. Because someday soon you will be able to. Developmentally, you'll be able to come to a point where you'll be able to say, this reminds me of Jesus and I want him. And when you're, able, when you're at that point, of course you should participate. So maybe you can't recognize him, but maybe you re they refuse to recognize Jesus. Maybe they refuse. So maybe if this person's lifestyle is out of control and they don't want to repent, they don't want to surrender their life to Jesus. And I would say, if that's you, we love you and you are welcome in this space. But again, this is not for you. So I would put it this way, okay? Imagine it's communion time and, and maybe somebody thinks, hey, free food. Or like, 
okay, let's just get this thing over with so that we can go home. I've got a busy Sunday ahead of me. So that's not okay, right? Uh, maybe somebody says, uh, like they look at the other people who are in line for communion and they're like, well, no fair, that person got to. My, my big brother, my big sister got to. I want to. Why can't I? So that's probably not okay either. But maybe the thing is, you know, I've just done some terrible things in my life. I don't think God could ever forgive me. But maybe if I take communion, he will. And again, I would say to you, just this isn't for you. You're not ready yet. These are not the reasons we take communion. And if, and if, 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 if this is what you have in mind, you need to know that's not the gospel. In fact, the gospel is much simpler and much better than that. Now, who should participate? Who should participate? Who should be inside this fence? It's really complicated, okay? Here's, here's, the, here's our fence. Here's the test. The test is this. Do you want to remember Jesus? Do you want to remember Jesus? Communion is for you if you can say, you remember Jesus. He did, Jesus, you did that for me. I thank you. I am yours. You are mine. We belong to you, Jesus. That is it. That is the test. And as simple as that sounds, that is important. Because this question has split denominations. This question was one of the things at the root of the Protestant Reformation. This is why Jonathan Edwards was fired. We talked about him last week. People have been executed over this question of communion and who should participate. All right? And over the centuries, I think a lot of traditions have taken communion and turned it into something that it was never meant to be. So think about it. Paul has our attention now. Here is his chance to give us the rules for who can participate and who can't. And here's how high the fence is for Paul. Here's his fence. There's no, there's no test of race, no test of gender or marital status. There's no, uh, there's no age test. It's just not there. There's no, no uh, minimum tithe that you have to offer your church in order to participate in communion. There's no uh, level of education, no level of income. In fact, the Apostle Paul assumes that the poor are present and participating in communion. He, Paul assumes that communi communion is this diverse, eclectic, messy, mixed-up group, and we come from all over the place, and we share that one bread, that one cup around the one table, and that's the beauty of it, because that preaches. Amen? It preaches. And so the one thing that qualifies us to share the Lord's table is that we know we're sinners who need Jesus. That's it. And just so you know, if we add more to that, if we add more to that, we actually run the risk of being more biblical than Jesus himself. Let me say that again. If we add more to the Lord's Supper than that, then we run the risk of being more biblical than Jesus himself. And that is not a good place to be. That is not the kind of church that we want to be. Amen? And so it doesn't matter who looks down on you because of your age, or your race, or your gender, or your education, or your income, or your maturity. At, at, the, at the, the world's tables, Okay? At the tables out there in the world, those things are fences. 
Those divide us, but not at the Lord's table. At the Lord's table, there is one fence. Do you want Jesus? And anybody who wants him, anyone who recognizes their need for Jesus is welcome, and they should not be kept from participating. So that's who should participate. And now the last question, it's, uh, it's probably the easiest to answer, but it is too important for us to leave out. Okay, the question is this, what's the right way for us to celebrate communion? What's the right way for us to celebrate communion? It's actually not obvious, and we're going to see that in a minute. Because I don't know if you've noticed this, but in, uh, even in the New Testament, it seems, like, um, it seems like communion goes from this feast, or a potluck, to being this thing that we enjoy with a piece of bread and a little cup of juice, or wine, depending on your tradition. And it's like, and you might wonder, how did that happen? How did we go from this love feast to bread and, and a little bread, a piece of bread and a cup? I think, I think it's, it comes down to this. The first Christians, when, they, when this whole thing began, Christianity wasn't on anybody's radar. And Christians were, were free to meet in each other's homes on Sunday. And, and nobody really cared. And as Christianity spread, and as it grew and spread across the empire, there were some folks who began to see it as a threat. And there were some Romans who said, you know, those Christians, they talk a lot about sharing in, in Jesus' body and blood. That's gross. And so people started to accuse Christians of being cannibals. Like, that, that actually happened. They accused Christians of being cannibals, and they needed to get rid of us. And so there was persecution. And so because of persecution, it looks like the early church adapted their communion ritual, their communion liturgy, away from a meal to something simple like the bread and the wine. Now, just, just so we're on the same page, if, if the form of communion really matters to Jesus, if the form of communion really matters to Paul, then that move, that move from a feast to a piece of bread and a cup, that was disobedient. Right? If the form really matters, that was a terrible mistake, but it's not. In fact, it turns out that communion works, whether you're talking about a potluck or a piece of bread and juice. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 11 just once more, where Paul says, So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you know what I want you to do? You know how I want you to eat it and take, this, take the cup and eat the bread? Together. You should all eat together. In fact, he goes on and he says, Anyone who's hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it's not going to result in judgment. Like, here's your instruction booklet, all right? Here's what communion should look like. Step one, eat together. Step two, drink together. That's it. And to make the point, he says to anybody who is inclined to, to pig out and take more than their share, you guys, eat at home. Eat at home so that there's more uh, left for the rest of us, so that everybody can have a piece, and that way there's enough for everybody. So, so here, the more together our communion practice can be, I think the better that it reflects what Jesus had in mind with communion. Okay, that's, that's where I am on this. Um, and, and that might seem obvious, but it's actually not. Because you might be somebody who's really passionate about, like your issue might be that you're supposed to use unleavened bread in communion rather than like more cakey bread. Okay? Um, you might be somebody who insists on wine instead of grape juice. You might be somebody who insists 
that only baptized adults should be, long, should be allowed to participate in communion. Like, I get it. I know, I know all, the, all those, I've heard all of those things. I, I get it. In fact, I have an opinion on some of those as well. But step back a bit. Because suppose you're now you're talking about like hymns versus hill songs and Bethel songs, okay? Suppose you're talking about drums versus the pipe organ. Suppose you're talking about wearing your, you know, your, your fancy Sunday dress and a jacket and a tie versus jeans and a t-shirt or something like that. So we can discuss these things. We can, uh, we can, like, again, I have preferences on these. You do too. It's not that you are crazy for having opinions and preferences on these. It's just that scripture doesn't give us a formula. It doesn't give us a formula. And so people are allowed to disagree about which of these is more biblical. And, uh, and if we can disagree about these things peacefully, that's a really healthy, mature posture. But if the whole church has to agree with you, okay, if the whole church has to see it your way, and if everybody who disagrees with you is like a liberal or is sinful or is dangerous, you need to know that that you are exactly who Paul is talking about in this passage. Okay? On the other hand, if you're somebody who can surrender your preferences and, and lay those down for the sake of peace, for the sake of unity, and for the sake of mission, if you can take your preferences and if you can lay them down, that's a really healthy, mature posture. That's a really Christ-like thing to be able to do. That's, there's something very Jesus-like about that, about being able to say, uh, I, I have an opinion on this matter, but I don't need to have my own way. I think that I'm right, but I, but I definitely don't think that this issue is more important than the unity of my brothers and sisters. I don't think it needs to divide us. And so the right way for us to, to take communion together is to lay down our preferences, lay down our differences, uh, to take communion, and not treat this like a buffet, but to eat it and to drink it in memory of Jesus, who himself laid down his rights and his preferences. Okay? Now, um, the, uh, the irony isn't lost on me that we're talking about communion in a week when we are socially distanced and we're not actually able to, to take it together. Like we're, I'm actually not, we're not going to take communion in such a way that you come forward, take the bread and the cup. We're not going to do that this morning. But even if we can't take and participate in communion together this morning, we can still show it. Even if we can't share it, we can still show it. And so, you know, and the reason we need to is because going all the way back to that Passover meal that Jesus shared with his disciples, because that's what the Last Supper was, right? It was, it was a Passover meal. Jesus breaks bread. He takes bread and he holds it up and he breaks it and he says, you see this? This is my body. This is my body. And, and when you eat this, I want you to do it in remembrance of me. And then when supper was ended, Jesus took a cup. And there's something important that you need to know about that cup. Because on the Passover table are four cups. In every Passover, there's four cups. Um, and, and each of those cups had its own sort of meaning, and it was a reminder of something. You drink it in order to remind you of something that God had, had done in salvation history. 
So the last cup, the fourth cup, is the cup of praise. It's the cup where you drink it in order to say, Messiah is coming. He's on his way. Messiah is coming and, went, and praise God. It's almost done. He's going to wrap this all up and he is going to be all in all. He's going to be all in all when he pours out his wrath on the nations and they are judged for having rejected him. So when God judges the earth, he will be all in all. Messiah will come and it's all over. And that's the, that's the cup that Jesus picks up and instead he says, you see this cup? He says, this cup is my blood. He says, this is a new covenant and, and God will be all in all, but not by judging, not by pouring out his wrath on the nations. Instead, I'm going to absorb it. I'm going to take that judgment and wrath on me. And this is a new covenant in my blood. And it's shed for you and also that sins would be forgiven. And I, as often as you drink this, I want you to drink it in remembrance of me. And after that supper, what's going on in communion from that day forward, the cup of judgment is the cup of peace. The cup that used to mean Messiah will come. Someday he's coming. That cup now means Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. That's what that cup means. He, Jesus welcomes us to participate in and to, to share him like, like food and drink when we come together for the, for the Lord's Supper. He feeds us. He is our food. He invites us to the table. And, and that is why you and I belong. That's why we are welcome. And my friends, that is why the church goes to church. Thank you for listening.